shadows fade away, your love is on display. You're making all things new, let the ruins come to life. Your love is breaking through as the darkness bursts the light. Church family. Um, man, it's a great day out, isn't it? Great for a lot of different reasons. The weather's fantastic. The Warriors, what about them? That's pretty great. And um, more than that, the Lord God lives, rose again for you so that you might be made new, so that you might understand what it's like to, to live in purity and wholeness and health and you might discover a life that he's created for you, for you to live in it, and for you to, to really fully appreciate all that he has for you. So we're in this brand new sermon series. It's called Made New. It addresses um, some areas of our life where we experience wreckage and brokenness because of our willfulness and our sin, our disobedience, and where God enters in and says, young man, older woman, young person, senior adult, single, married person. You need to experience newness in your life. There's a place in your life that, that struggled, that is wounded, and I want to repair. I want to regenerate. I want to give new life to. Would you please let me do that? And uh, so we've selected some areas. They're not the, the entire list, right? We have a long list of our brokenness, our struggles, and we could be here for the rest of our lives talking about those, that we've created uh, just seven of them that we're going to address. And we, we have a daily devotional called Made New. You've seen us talk about it a little bit the last couple of weeks. It's out in the gazebo. Um, all the, the church family is doing it together the next seven weeks, it's a daily one, and you can just look at it, and it um, each week addresses one of those topics. People from our own fellowship wrote them, and uh, there's a verse to get in your brain for each week, and then there's also just uh, some great questions, a passage, a scripture, a story that connects, and I think you'll find it really refreshing and encouraging. So that's the Made New Devotional. You can get yours right outside, right afterwards, um, and we thought we'd start with something um, just for us all to get on the same page. Here's the truth of what God's word communicates to us, that every one of us, regardless of our age or our culture or our background, every one of us needs what God has to give to us that we cannot generate in and of ourselves. We need God's purity. We need God's healing. We need God's wholeness. And we need it at one point, and we keep needing it. Here's what I mean. Um, the way that God makes disciples, followers of Jesus is this, that we get to a place where we discover that we need God and what he has given us by his grace through Jesus Christ. And we take this step, maybe with really beating heart and wondering whether he really truly does love us or whatever, but we make this first step to trust Jesus, to commit our lives to him. And in that moment, when we take that honest prayer up to God, the Bible tells us that we are in that instant made new. That all of our shame and our guilt, our sin is forgiven. And we have become 
a forgiven, clean, whole child of God. And that's it. It's not more complicated than that. Us simply turning to God and what he can do in our lives that we can't do. To clean us, to forgive us, to make us right. Having that honest conversation, I confess my sin before him and he is faithful and he is just to forgive me of all my sin. Cleanse me of all the unrighteousness in my life and give me wholeness and a whole life. And those of us who have taken that step know this true. That it doesn't stop there. That we are in the process of being made new too. That it's a daily affair in our lives. He keeps after it with us and through us. Regardless of our age or how many years we've walked with God, he still is in this process of making us new. And in this particular area that we're going to talk about this morning, he is in the process. And I want you to walk out of here not with defeat and discouragement, frustration, because this certainly can be an area that leads to that in all of our lives, whether we're single or married. But I want you to walk out with the sure knowledge that God loves you and he wants you to experience his wholeness, his purity, his gift of healing in your life for your sexuality. There's no simplistic formulas. We're not trying to do that, but we are trying to give you some some taste in these areas of how to get there. So we're going to look specifically at the area of our brokenness. Then we're going to think about a Bible character, a person who experienced, a real person who experienced that struggle in their own life, and then how God touched them and used something in their lives to bring them to newness and wholeness and to recover what was lost, to regenerate, to make new, to breathe life into so that they might experience that. And then we're going to take that and think about how that applies to our own lives. So that's the process in this series. And I hope you find it just engaging and really healthy. So we'll start with the easy one, the easy topic of our brokenness with our sexuality. Yeah, that's, um, that's a struggle, isn't it? Because we've got this reflex. Anytime we talk about something so personal for us, to try to hide or dodge or avoid. I was at Costco recently, and you know how the parking lot gets kind of crazy there? This lady pulls in. I had just gotten out of my car, and I was walking to get a cart. This lady pulls in in a brand-new van. Like, doesn't have the license plates or anything. It's just brand-new, spanking new. And um, we've got an old van, a van that's seen better days, but it's still moving, so that's good, right, hon? <laughs> and... Uh, it's got a few hundred thousand miles, and we're hoping for another couple hundred. And, uh, but this is a brand new van, so it's got my attention a little bit. Like, wow, that'd be kind of nice. And, and um, this lady starts to pull into this spot. She sees the spot opened up. She starts to pull into it really quick. And you know those little metal, big metal guardrails that, you know, that are right there? You know what's going to happen, right? And I see her. She's getting too close. I'm like, <gasps> and sure enough, bam, she hits this thing. And I thought, oh, just like you. I thought, oh, this is a brand new van. Oh, no. And then I don't know whether she panicked or didn't know what to do next, but she like floored it. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like (sighs) right down the side of her van. I'm like, oh, that's such a bummer. And then she does one of these. (laughs) Looking around to see if anybody saw it. And I'm like, 
you know what? Not only did I see it, but everybody on your way home is going to see that. When you pull that baby into your car, your husband's going to see it. There's no avoiding. You cannot hide that. It's like bad. That's our sex life. I, um, I do something foolish. I break God's direction for me that's right and holy and pure and good. And I decide because of my own selfish desires or I decide because everybody else is doing this particular thing or for whatever reasons that I can come up with, I, I make a choice that's a bad choice and then I keep doing it and keep scarring and then I look around and try to hide it and bury it. So the Bible's filled with these people that do these things just like you and I which is good news, right? Because it speaks to us. And if I were to say, who's a person who like just did something really stupid in their sexuality in the Bible, you would say, that's brutal, isn't it? That's brutal to be known that way. Like thousands of years later, he did all these great things. He was a man who was, the Bible says, a man who was after God's own heart. He loved God from an early age. And he did a lot of right things, man. He was the guy that was faithful to the Lord, who stood up as a kid when everybody else was being a chicken. He stood up and trusted God in the middle of this giant, you know, Goliath. And he was the guy from a young age. And when the king was doing all kinds of stupid, crazy things, Saul, he was the man who was obedient to God. And yet he's known for what he did in 2 Samuel chapter 11 where David decides to stay back from the battle, stays home where he should have been out leading. And then he goes up, you know, where he's looking out over all his city and he sees this really hot woman who happens to be married and she's taking a bath outside. It was her tradition and she was hidden except David could see her. And he lusted after her and he committed adultery with her And then, to make matters worse, he's trying to hide it from other people, what he's done, because she comes to him and says, whoa, sorry, but I'm pregnant. And David decides, you know what, we're going to have to kill the husband. There's a good idea. And he sets Uriah, her husband, up to be killed. The good news is that David's story does not stop there. I mean, he, he just blew it in the biggest way possible, but it does not stop, start there, or stop there. And it doesn't start there, actually. The Bible tells us that David got married. And his wife, um, first of all, was a daughter of the king, Saul. Saul tried to set him up with another daughter, but he didn't want anything to do with that because he'd fallen in love with this one woman. And, and they got married, McCall, and... and um, And then she betrayed him. She sold him out to um, the forces of her dad. And the relationship just went on the rocks. And he didn't do what he should have done, and neither did she. They didn't work on their relationship. Every person here who's ever been in a relationship with the opposite sex knows that it takes work, and there's disappointments and discouragements, and there's failings. Right? Hello? Was there only one person who knew that? (laughs) Right? 
Everybody knows this, but they didn't work on it. They didn't work on their communication. They didn't humble themselves and say, wow, we've got to really work on this, and I've wronged you, and, and here's what I'm feeling like. And, and, um, and so they just buried it. They just tried to hide it and, and deal with it, and not, they didn't address it. And then the pressures of work came, and the culture, David lived in a very amoral culture like we do, and, um, and for whatever reasons he could come up with, he came up with this really great plan. I'm going to marry another person and not deal with this woman. In fact, I'll, I'll marry multiple people. There's a bright idea. That's, that's like, okay, just let me tell you that how stupid that is. I, you know, I struggle enough like, with one woman in my life whom I love dearly. I can't imagine this, what he's just done. But he comes up with this great idea not to deal relationally with what he should do. And he has multiple times where he's sinning and struggling. He's got all these wives. Um, tells us in First Samuel chapter 25, he starts taking these steps of compromise. Starts small by not addressing, and his compromises accelerate. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? How in our area, the personal areas of our life, when we start making these small compromises, um, they just, if we don't deal with it, they just keep getting bigger and bigger. And then we get to a place where, how do I ever dig out of this? Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just do what comes naturally, sin. And I'll just live for myself. And that's where David was, and that's what led up to 2 Samuel chapter 11, where David does this crazy, horrible thing with Bathsheba and Uriah. And, and um, so what's going to happen? Does God abandon him? Does the story stop? No. I'm going to read to you, and I hope you read with me, 2 Samuel chapter 12. The story doesn't stop in 11, as I said. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And some of you might know the first part of this. The first part is the Nathan thing. You remember this? If you know the story of David and Bathsheba and what happens to David, um, David, one of his great things that he did was he wrote a lot of the Psalms that you can find in the Bible. He was a great songwriter. But there are no Psalms that are written in this period of his life. When he walked away from God like this, and he had all these issues with Bathsheba and Uriah, he just stopped because worship stopped for him. He didn't want really anything to do with God, although God wanted everything to do with him. You know what I'm talking about there, where that happens in our lives, where we're living disobedient to God, and we, don't, we want to try to put God at a distance, but he's still there, and he's still hunting us down. And um, worship stopped for him, for David. He's wrestling through with what he's done. He's feeling guilty, and he's struggling with it. And so um, the story doesn't stop. God sends a man named Nathan. Now, here's the story. For Nathan... When he goes and gets sent to the king, he could easily lose his life. The king had full authority, could do whatever he wanted to do. He already proved that with David and Bathsheba and Uriah, right? So David could do whatever he wanted with Nathan. So Nathan's heart has got to be beating hard as he steps into the presence of the king because God had sent him to do something. Here it is. Pick it up. 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll start at verse 1. We're going to go to 25 because that's uh, a little bit more of the, the story. Sometimes you just end with this first part. Because it really is a great first part. And the veggie tales went there. So, right. <laughs> and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him. That is, Nathan came to David. 
and said to him, okay, now, God has given this mission to Nathan. The mission is go and confront the king on his sin. Do it in a way that will bring conviction in his life and tell him the consequences of his sin. This is a hard mission. It's a life-threatening mission. And so Nathan got very thoughtful and creative, didn't he? He, he started thinking, how can I deliver the goods to my friend, David, where I keep my life and David turns back to God? How do I do that? And so God gave him great creativity, doesn't he? And he tells, he goes into the king, and many of you know the story, he tells this really great story because David, in his earlier life, had been a shepherd. Love sheep. So he tells the story. Nathan came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds. And already David's thinking about this because now he had many flocks and herds, but when he was younger, he didn't have very many. He just cared for the small. But the poor man had nothing. But one little ewe lamb. Isn't that great? Just one little precious lamb. That's all he had. Which he had bought. And then he brought it up. And it grew up with him. And with his children. Oh, he adds children to the mix, right? This is a heart-tugging story. It used to eat of his morsel and drink of his cup. And lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. It was so precious. This one little ewe lamb was so precious. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man. And he, that is the rich man, was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took, that is he stole, the poor man's lamb, And prepared it, he butchered that pet for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. David is fully involved in this story as Nathan's telling it, right? He's just so ticked off at what has just happened because he feels it. He feels the emotion of the story. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you're the man. You know, I'm sure he said that with his heart beating out of his chest, wondering how is this guy going to react to this? But people knew it. David had been driving around with a van that was dented all on the side. Everybody, it was a public sin. Although he felt like he was hiding it, everybody knew it, what was going on. And Nathan comes in and tells this little story that has engaged David. And he says that you are the guy. You're that man that you got so mad about. It's a great story. It captivates David. Thus says the Lord, Nathan says, okay, this is the Lord speaking, not me. So take it, take it that way, please. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen, you're not in charge of Israel, David. God is. I anointed you king over Israel. David, 
the Lord says, I gave you everything. I gave you the kingship. And I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. Think about how many times, David, I delivered you. And the story is written in First and Second Samuel of how many times David could have lost his life and God delivered him. That's your story. All right, that's my story. How many times God has delivered us. You're here living, breathing, because God is a great deliverer. And this is the story that, that's being told to David. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house. I gave you everything. Your master's wife. I gave you everything that you have right now and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much, much more. I would give you more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. That's who he set Uriah up to be killed by. Now, therefore, now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. That is, from this day forward, you will always be at war. You'll never experience peace. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will rise, raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. It's going to be public. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless. That's the third nevertheless, and they're all bad. Because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted that child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought out God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and wept, and excuse me, and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, when the child was alive... We spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. So David's on edge emotionally, they say. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood the child was dead, and David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He's dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. And his servants said to him, What's this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you rose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. Now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. One day in heaven, I'll see that child 
not this day. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. She bore him a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. So what is the word of God saying this morning about us, about our brokenness, about David's event? Several things, I think. First, hiding broken sexuality never brings healing. Hiding it, trying to dodge it, avoid it, it never brings wholeness and health and healing to your soul, to your life, to your relationships. Bury it, it will never get better. It will only fester and get worse. And yet, our response is what? Most often, our reflex is to hide, to avoid, not to deal with it, not to have a conversation with the person that I've wronged, not to own the consequences that are going to happen in my own life. I try to run, and I try first to run from God. But listen, God loves you persistently. He'll keep loving you, regardless of your brokenness, regardless of the lack of health that you have in your life, regardless of how ugly it is. And he cares about others He doesn't say, yeah, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. That's like a parent saying to her child, yeah, go ahead and play on the freeway. That's fine. No one here would ever do that with their kid. Although, if you have a junior higher, you might be tempted. No, 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 I'm just kidding. I have a junior higher. I love him. I would never say that. God, God wants you right and whole and healed. That's That's his intent. But if we hide it, that'll never work. There's a phrase used in our culture, in our time. um, That is, it's it's okay if it's just the consenting adults involved in the activity. It's not going to harm anybody. You know what consenting adult means? It means two people agreeing to do a stupid thing together. (laughs) Right? When you see people use that old phrase, that means two people agreeing foolishly to sin, to walk away from from God's plan for their life and assuming that there'll be no consequences for that, assuming that they can hide it before God and before others, and there will never be any consequence. So because of God's persistent love for us, he'll keep pursuing us like he did for David. He didn't let David go, although David's life was a wreckage in chapter 11. Chapter 12, God keeps pursuing David. Why? Because God uses his spirit and his word and his people to creatively speak truth in our lives and our sin. He wants us healed. So he uses those things to bring healing to us. He brings his spirit to bring conviction into us the knowledge that we have broken God's standard, that we're not pure, that we're not holy, that we're wrecked. He uses his word every time it's spoken out to get at us, to provoke us, to come back to him. And he uses other people like he used Nathan. That's his agenda. It's what he wants because he loves us and he's not going to give up on us. He keeps pursuing us so that we would be pure and right and enjoy the goodness of that regardless of what we've done in our past. I don't think there's a person here, I don't know. I don't think there's a person here who has committed adultery and then killed the ex. 
even if there was, God still offers forgiveness. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be consequences for your actions, but he offers healing and wholeness and forgiveness to you, regardless of your past, regardless of your present sin. And he'll keep using people to draw you to himself. Third, God forgives and heals a broken and contrite heart. Did you see David's response? He didn't punch Nathan in the nose. He didn't try to avoid it or get angry and start screaming and yelling. He owned it. Nathan and David have this conversation. David, verse 13, said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Yeah, he'd sinned against other people, against Uriah and his family. He'd sinned against Bathsheba. He'd sinned against the nation. But first, he needed to get and do business with God. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, yeah, you're done. He hates you. No forgiveness. No. No. The Lord has also put away your sin. It's good news, right? That's precious news to me and to you, all of us who have wrestled in this area of our life. He will forgive. He will put our sin away. He will cleanse us and heal us, but we have to turn to him and seek forgiveness. We have to stop doing what we're doing and seek his forgiveness. We can't say, God, I'm sorry, okay, and then go off and keep doing it because we really weren't brokenhearted about it. We really didn't turn to him. God, yeah, I'm going to leave that, but I've still got, you know, on every device I have, I've got porn. No, I've got to actually turn around. God, I'm not going to have the conversation I need to have. I'm just going to say it just between us, and that'll be okay. Cool, right? No, actually, I have to turn, and I have a broken heart and confess my sin before him. I have to be repentant. And then he loves to forgive. He loves to forgive you. And when God forgives, it's not like how an individual forgives. He cleanses you perfectly and completely. It's in your past, and he never remembers it. You're clean, you're whole. So God forgives and he heals a broken and contrite heart. Fourth, sin has real life consequences, doesn't it? For David, they were brutal. Chapter 12 begins as pretty tragic, doesn't it? It's really hard. Think about the consequences that happened to him, and they actually did happen to him. Nathan said it, and then it, it happened in his life. First, from that day forward, David would always, always be in a state of war with his country, with the nations around him. He would always be struggling with that and see the devastation of that. There would be no peace from that day forward in that way. Spiritual peace, but not peace around him. And second, um, he would see this brutal thing happen in his family life and all the wives he had and his other relationships. One day in the future, the scripture records it, how a person just violates them all in public. And it's just a horrible scene what happens. They're, and thirdly, the child dies. David Bathsheba's little precious child dies. Really hard consequences. Sometimes we get in the mode of thinking that, um, okay, I'll just say sorry to God, and then he'll wipe everything clean, and there won't be any consequences of my sinful activity. But the truth is, every time I choose to sin, there's consequence. 
God loves to forgive and will completely forgive and eternally forgive me. That's such good news. But if I chose today to have an affair, it would have consequences with my kids, with my wife, with everybody around me, right? Yes. When I choose to sin sexually, it always affects people and me. And that happened in David's experience. But that's not the end of the story. Praise God for that, right? Because we, we looked all the way through verse 25 for a reason. Verse 24 and 25 are precious because God still had a plan for David. He still loved him. He said, regardless of the wreckage and the horrible things that have happened in your life, I am still going to give you hope, hope for the future. I'm going to give you and Bathsheba, even though your relationship was so wrecked from the very beginning, I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to give you a son, Solomon. And his name will be beloved of the Lord because I so preciously treasure this little child that's going to happen from this relationship that you have. I will redeem your brokenness. And that's the story of God for us. The story of God for our sexuality, the story of God for every pick and area of our life that God loves to make us new. And we thank God for that humbly. So what do we do with all this stuff? What needs to happen? First, let me challenge you and encourage you with this, that you need to stop sinning and confess your broken sexuality to God. Every one of us here has wrestled and struggled Just stop and turn to the Lord. God, I don't want this to be just a word, just, you know, okay, and you stop thinking, start thinking about it. Actually, let's do this right now. Take a moment of quietness where you are. And if God has been speaking to you and you're wise enough to listen and hear it, just turn to him right now, whatever that broken area of your sexuality is, and just seek God's wholeness and healing right now. Just you and him do business with God. Get honest. He already knows you and he loves you and wants to hear it from you as his child. God, I confess this before you. Forgive me, please. Name it. Here's the area of my life. God, I have this on my computer. Lord, I've been reading this. God, here's the area of my relationship that's broken. God, I, I, I beg your forgiveness. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of it, all of our unrighteousness. Here's the next step. Get real with another follower of Jesus. Be transparent and honest with another person in your life. Start, if you're married, with your spouse. That's the harder conversation, isn't it? Start there for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your other relationships. There. And get another person. Guys, get another guy in your life. Ladies, get another lady in your life and get honest with them and humble before them and have them pray over you. 
Third, keep short accounts. David's big issue, I believe, was that he delayed. He um, kept avoiding, kept burying it, denying it. It got worse and worse and worse, and then he, and then this happened. Keep short accounts. And finally, don't settle. Our culture settles. We're called and chosen of God and beloved by him. Don't settle for anything less. Anything less than God's best. How do you get there? Just a couple quick steps. First, if you're not already in in an environment where you're having honest conversations or you're in a life group, join one of our life groups. We'd love to get you connected to a community of people where you can live out your faith honestly before him. And the next several weeks, we're going to be addressing these issues and trying to get real with each other and talk through them. And we have this devotional this week. All this week, it's going through this topic. And um, it comes from a bunch of different people who have written about it. And it'll help lead you in God's word to define the first next steps of wholeness and transparency before God and health. We want you made new. We don't want you sitting in condemnation because in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. We want you taking steps forward to be made new in him. All right? Let me pray over you and with you, if I might, please. Father, um, thank you for your word. Even in a topic area that can make us feel very uncomfortable, that you would speak into us, demonstrating your love for us, that you would bless us as we get honest and contrite, real with you, seeking your wholeness, that you would bless us with forgiveness and wholeness and help us to take the next step forward today for your honor and by your strength. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who loves us. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.